But before we jump into our passage today, let's pray. God, you are so good and so kind to us. Lord, you came to us in our, our brokenness and our sadness and our longing. And you fulfill our deepest joy and our deepest need for peace with your glory that you reveal to us in Jesus. And I pray that Jesus, that your face and your glory would be revealed to us today. Lord, may your word speak clearly and powerfully, and may your spirit uh, convict and correct and comfort and empower us today to know you and see you better. Amen. Well, what we're doing here today, it's been mentioned multiple times, we're in a series of Advent, um, and today's topic is preparation. Uh, Now, really, my wife probably should be doing this because she's much better at preparation than I am. Um, I actually bought her stationery as an engagement gift because I knew she'd be so excited about planning our wedding. Um, but uh, we're looking at a, an amazing passage today, but it, it probably comes without saying that we're all preparing for Christmas, right? In some way, we're preparing. Um, as we wait, we don't just sit around, we have to prepare. Um, and I hope that your preparation is going well. We were flying over to um, my parents' house for Thanksgiving, just flying over Dallas. And I looked down, I just saw all this flashing happening on the ground. I was like, is this fireworks? And I realized Dallas, before Thanksgiving, already had most of their Christmas lights out. I was like, those Texans, man. Um, They're prepared. Um, But we all know the fact that the way you prepare matters. Um, It matters to the outcome of what you need to do. I'm going to go for this guy. How about that? We're going to use the microphone. I think my battery's died. So anyways, you guys can hear me for the minute. Um, How you prepare matters. It changes things. um, Because when you prepare badly, you don't get the same reaction. Um, Maybe you don't quite get the lights right. Um, Maybe... uh, you get a bit of a scrawny tree. Um, Or maybe you pull a Chevy Chase and your turkey blows up. (laughs) But but we realize that that preparation matters and the season of Advent is just about that. It's it's how are you preparing for what we're about to experience, what we're, we're about to celebrate. Ken talked about last week, Advent, it literally, it literally means arrival or, or coming. Uh, the picture of Advent is uh, the, the coming or arrival, the anticipation of a very important person. Um, like me and Hannah going to my parents' house, I got calls on, on the way in. What kind of food should I bring? Or my mom saying, what kind of food should I prepare? What should I have in the fridge? You know, we're not that important, um, but it was, it was special to have that. We all know what it is to prepare for someone's coming. Um, but Advent's much more important than kids going home for Thanksgiving. Um, it's about the preparation for Jesus. 
For, the, for God, as we spoke about in our liturgy, God Emmanuel, God with us. And Advent historically has looked at two comings. Uh, it's looked back at, to celebrate the first coming of Jesus um, in the, the baby Jesus coming into the world, um, but also looked forward to prepare for his second coming. And when we're preparing for Christmas, you know, we're, we're trying to prepare for that, that perfect moment of wonder, right? <laughs> Where the lights are just right. Uh, you got your hot cocoa. Maybe, again, it's cold enough in Los Angeles to wear your favorite sweater. Um, and, and far too often, we, we just want that wonder. We want that glory without actually the preparation. Uh, but our... Our passage today tells us that it is the preparation that reveals the glory. It's the preparation that reveals the glory. So whether you are a Scrooge who doesn't listen to Christmas music until the week of Christmas, or you wear Christmas socks in the summer, this passage is for us um, because it, it shows us really how do we experience the glory of Christmas in our preparation. So this passage, if you look back with me, Isaiah 43 to 5, it's a pretty classic Christmas passage on the theme of preparation. And it's rich in history and imagery, and Isaiah in general is such an important book in the Bible, and I would love to go into so many parts of this, uh, but really today we're going to focus on what it has to tell us about preparation or more specifically, how our passage tells us how we prepare for the Lord. Prepare for the glory of the Lord to be revealed so that all people will see it together. Verse five. So whatever the, the season looks like for you right now, whether you're very excited about Christmas or you're dreading it, this passage tells us how we can prepare. Um, and it tells us when we need to prepare, what we need to prepare And finally, why we need to prepare. So we're going to look at this passage in three different headings for those of you who are taking notes. Uh, We're going to first look at the desert. Then we're going to look at the highway. And then we're going to look at the glory. So the desert, the highway, and the glory. So let's, let's start out by looking at point one, the desert, or when to prepare. When to prepare. So let's go back and read verse 3 of our passage today. It says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So this passage starts out by speaking of the desert or, or the wilderness. And this is a really important theme in Scripture. It, it comes all throughout Scripture. Um, the desert is a place of God's people and transition. His people and transition. Think about Abraham. He was called by God, Genesis 12. And he has this amazing experience of God calling him and saying, I'm going to build a great nation of you. But then what does he tell him to do? Right after he says, go, <laughs> pack up all your stuff, your family, all your things, And go to the place where I will put you into the land I promised you. So see that transition? There's 
the glory, the experience, and the promise. The deserts, the middle. Then think about the Israelites, right? They were in Egypt. They were slaves. And then they were delivered by God miraculously. They saw the glory of God, right, in Egypt. But then they wandered the desert for 40 years before they made it to the promised land. That's the wilderness. That's the desert. It's this transition. But even Jesus, even Jesus after his baptism, um, after his start of ministry where the heavens open up and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased and the spirit descends on him. What's the next thing that happens? He goes to the desert for 40 days before the gospel goes to all people. The, the desert is a place for people and transition. It's between revelation and promise. So, in other words, the desert is Advent. <laughs> the desert is waiting. The desert is longing. And, and theologians call this concept in the Christian life, um, the already not yet. It's that feeling of knowing that we are already saved, right? We're already justified if we have faith in Christ, but we are not yet sinless. Jesus is already king. He's over all things, but there's still evil in the world. We just looked at a whole lot of already not yet in our Revelation series, if you guys put your minds back to that. But that, that's what we're talking about here And for the Christian, the desert is waiting for that moment wherein all things are restored. But we see this kind of waiting all throughout Scripture. Psalm 13, Psalm of David, a man after God's own heart. What does he say at the very beginning, verses 1 and 2? He says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? But then you see in verses five to six, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation and I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. That's the tension. He understands the salvation, but he's waiting for the deliverance and the finality of that. So how do you know you're in the desert? (laughs) Well, you might end up in the desert like Jonathan Taylor Thomas in uh, the great Christmas classic, I'll Be Home for Christmas, dumped in the desert with a Santa suit. Um, But I don't don't think it needs to be that complicated. Thanks, Steph. Um, Again, it's, it's speaking about people and transition. Are you in a transition? What does your life feel like right now? For the Israelites who are hearing this passage, just last chapter, verse 5 of chapter 39, Isaiah the prophet says to the king of Israel at the time, Hezekiah, he says, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your uh, predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. That's 
the last chapter before we get this promise. So just like the Israelites here, the desert is characterized by longing, by maybe spiritual dryness, by maybe something that was exciting when you started your faith and your journey now seems routine or stale. In other words, um, when, when the good news of the gospel starts to feel more like old news, when the brokenness and the sin and the struggle and the suffering are at the forefront of your mind rather than the glory of your salvation. You know, for you, Christian, here today, what are you thinking about celebrating this Christmas? Is it just another Christmas for you? Just another one that you're, you know, you're just ticking off the boxes on the list. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know that song. Yeah, I get that. I've heard that before. I know that passage. Well, this passage has something to say for you because it's about the preparation. Or maybe if you've never known Christ, if you don't know what salvation is like, Maybe you've always felt like you're in the desert, always felt like there's longing, always felt like there's no hope. This passage is for you as well. Because the key to being in the desert isn't just staying there, but it's a, it's a call to prepare. So if you're in the desert, like most of us, let's move on to figure out when we know we're in the desert, when to prepare, we, we need to know what to prepare. And that's where the next part of our, our passage comes in, which is the highway, the highway, what to prepare. Versus, well, we'll pick up, we'll just pick up from three again. It's a short passage. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's such striking imagery in this passage, right? We see the valleys raised up. We, we see the mountains and hills flattened out. We see rough ground, boulders, obstacles cleared away. And it just makes me think of all the times when highways were actually built in the desert. When, when transportation transformed our country specifically. The, the Transcontinental Railroad was starting to be built in 1863 during the Civil War. And it, it went, by the time it was done, all the way from Omaha, Nebraska to Sacramento, California. Do you want to know how much it cost in 1863 for someone to get as far as the Transcontinental Railroad would have taken them before? Well, it would have cost $1,000 in 1863 for someone to travel from Omaha to Sacramento. 
And it would have taken five or six months. And this would have involved, of course, rugged mountain passes, terrifying desert and dryness. It would have taken months and months and months of preparation. But if they didn't want to go that way, they would have to travel by sea around the tip of South America, a distance of 18,000 miles, or cross Panama, and then travel by ship over to California. But each route took months and was terribly dangerous, incredibly expensive. And in the Transcontinental Railroad, get this, slashed that five to six months to five days. Five days. And that $1,000 price tag to $150 for a first-class sleeper. Isn't that amazing? But think about this. This transcontinental railroad, it was built in six years, almost entirely by hand. People literally, as you see behind us, building bridges that raise the valleys up, (laughs) using dynamite to, to make mountains not a problem. There was sacrifice after sacrifice, and many people lost their lives in horrible working conditions to make this a possibility. But arguably, this completely reshaped the landscape of America and is part of the reason we're even here in this building today. And what did it do? What did it do? It gave access, right? Someone who would have never dreamed that they could make it all the way to the other coast now had access, access to to greater beauty, to bigger lands. Imagine the first people seeing the coast of California. I think about this all the time when I drive the coast. I've I've driven up and down um, the one a few times, all the way from San Diego up to Seattle. And I think, man, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be one of the first people to set eyes on this place. And this is what the Transcontinental Railroad did. It gave them access to the glory that was on the other side. And this is what we're seeing in our passage today. We're seeing that the preparation of this clearing the valley, of, of raising, or raising the valley and clearing the mountains and getting rid of all the obstacles makes way for the proclamation of God's glory. Makes way for the proclamation of God's glory. Because people, when these distractions and obstacles are moved out of the way, can really see God's glory. Because this passage is actually speaking about John the Baptist. Um, Very specifically, a prophetic word of who was to come before Jesus was to come. And what was his ministry? Well, his ministry was to say, the kingdom is coming, so repent and believe. So much so that people would follow him and follow him and follow him and say, are you the Messiah? He says, no, he's coming. So that when all these people gathered around him, the obstacles were no longer in the way to where he could say, there's the king, go follow him. That's the glorious one. That's 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the Israelites in this passage are told to do the exact same thing. Look in verse 9 of chapter 40. It says, You who bring good news to Zion go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, and do not be afraid to say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. This is what they were told to declare, this coming promise of a Messiah. So preparing in the desert is removing those obstacles so that you and those around you can experience that glory that's proclaimed. Everyone of us who has experienced the glory, everyone of us who has accepted the salvation of Christ has had someone help build the way. Think about your journey. Think about the people who have broken down the obstacles between you and accessing the truth of the gospel. You know, when we celebrated a few weeks ago of this place here, the 98 ministry, years of ministry being done on this ground, they were preparing the way for you to be sitting in this place right now. They were building that road, that access to the glory of God so that on Christmas in 2021, the gospel of Christ could be proclaimed. So who was that for you? Was it a friend maybe sharing their faith with you? Maybe someone inviting you to church, sharing a book or a verse or someone who loved you with love of Christ and showed so much hospitality that you couldn't help but wonder why they were the way that they were. This was someone using, someone preparing the way for you to see God's glory. And maybe you came here today because someone invited you. You don't know why you came, (laughs) but maybe you came here today because someone invited you. It's a little bit meta, but right now that's happening. You, You are seeing God's glory because of someone else preparing the way. And so there's, there's a couple pretty simple applications to this. One, we need to continually prepare ourselves again and again to experience the glory. And we do that every time we gather here, right? Think about it. We look up to see who God is. We look down to confess our sins and to ask God to remove the obstacles that are in our hearts. And then we are We talk about the good news of the word of God and how it meets us where we're at. And then we are lifted up by that gospel and sent out to do the same for others. So how are you, this is the second point of application to this, how are you helping prepare the way for someone else to experience the glory of God this Christmas? It doesn't have to be crazy. (laughs) It doesn't have to be big. Each person does their part. Because if you're in the desert right now, often when the good news becomes old news, there's nothing quite as invigorating as someone who doesn't know the glory of God coming to know the glory of God. Nothing gets you out of the desert quicker than to see the joy of someone who first finds salvation in Christ. So not only is this preparation 
for someone else who's never heard the news before, but the preparation that leads to the glory being received helps you in your time in the desert. So this preparation is for the proclamation of God's glory. So make space for it. Think about that in your preparation for Christmas this year. Don't let the busy is better mentality cripple your celebration of Christmas this year. So if, if all of this is, is to prepare the way so that we can see the glory of God, what's the glory? <laughs> what's the glory? Well, let's look back again at the passage. Verse five, it says, and the glory of God will be revealed and all people will see it together. Do you notice this, this passage is, is in part command to prepare the way, but mostly it's a promise that God will prepare the way. The, mount, the valleys shall be raised up and the rough ground shall become level. And we can be confident in this because of the last line of these verses for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we'll know that this basis for our proclamation isn't our tireless work, but it's the Lord's sure promise that he is going to reveal his glory. So what is his glory? Let's look back at verse one of this passage today. Listen to this. This is what Isaiah is speaking to this disheartened people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is the glory of God. That he meets us in our deepest need and he does the work of saving us. This is what truly reveals who God is in all of his glory. The God who comforts, who proclaims to his people, as this passage says, you don't need to just keep trying harder. I've done the work for you. When it says that the Lord's hand has paid double for all their sins, that doesn't mean he's paid twice over. It actually is this image of a piece of paper being folded over on itself. That the exact payment that was needed is the payment that was given. It means that God paid the exact price of what we needed to be saved and forgiven. Because on our own, we cannot get out of the desert. We can't raise the valleys and flatten the mountains and smooth over the ground. Because what we are doing is simply pointing and proclaiming the one who already did. And this is the glorious good news of the gospel. This is where the glory is. Romans 3 talks about this in, in verses 23 to 26 says, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. We don't have the glory. We can't have the glory on our own. But, verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, that payment for sins, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That's talking about the sins of Israel because he did it to demonstrate that his righteousness at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. Those who trusted in the promise of the coming Messiah were saved by his work. This is the glory that's revealed in the promise of Isaiah 40. It's revealed in Jesus Christ. And this is why this is such a brilliant Christmas passage. Because the radiance of God, the fullness of who he is, the wonder of his goodness is fully seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate as at Christmas, is, is God with us, God in the flesh. God come down from heaven to be with his people, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, and to offer us a way out of the desert by dying on the cross and paying the penalty that we deserve so that we could be like him in his resurrection and that we could experience the same glory as him when we come again or when he comes again. Do you remember what's, what's said in Luke 2 when the angels come? When they talk to the shepherds, they say, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the glory that he loved us so much. This is the glory that we can fully see in Christ. And this glory is yours today. Second Corinthians talks about it like this. It said, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and a theologian during World War II, and he was actually a part of an anti-Nazi movement. Uh, and that ended up him up in jail. And in the final year and a half of his life, he actually spent in prison. And from prison, he wrote Christmas sermons <laughs> for a couple years. Imagine that, writing Christmas sermons from a German war prison. But I can't think of a place that would feel more like a desert. <laughs> But yet he saw this beautiful picture of the purpose of Advent, of that purpose of longing, because of his circumstances. In one of his sermons, he says this. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, 
who look forward to something greater to come. For these, it is enough to wait in humble fear. Only the Holy One himself comes down to us. God in the child, or God in the child in the manger. And this is the glory of Christmas that we all hope for. This is the wonder that we can see in Christmas is God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. So are you in the desert today? Like I said before, maybe you have always felt there's a longing. Maybe you've never experienced the glory of what it is to be saved, to be forgiven, to be reconciled to your God and creator. Well, your path has been prepared today to hear of the glorious good news that there is a way out and that someone else has paid your debt. So turn to him, that you will experience glory in a way that you never thought you ever could this Christmas. But maybe you're a Christian here, and again, the good news feels a little bit more like old news. Maybe you're longing and you're spiritually dry. Well, this passage is saying that one of the ways out is helping prepare the way for others to see the glory, to see it in a fresh and new way. And this is simpler than ever at Christmas. <laughs> we say this, uh, we've been saying this for the last few weeks. Everyone expects to be at church or hear about Jesus at Christmas. So why not extend the invitation? Why not get people to come and celebrate? Invite people to church. Invite people into your homes. Share with them the glory of Christmas and the coming Messiah. So let's prepare by proclaiming God's glory, what he's done for us in Christ, and by looking ahead to his glory to come. Let's not fall into the trap of trying to manufacture a, a fake wonder <laughs> this Christmas, but instead invite all people to come and see the true glory of Christmas and the reason we can celebrate. So let's pray today for that end. God, show us your glory. We pray. I pray that your true gospel, the love that you poured out for us in Christ would touch our hearts today. That you would renew and ignite in our spirits a wonder for your glory. Lord, so much so that we go out to our neighbors and our friends and our family and and we prepare the way so that others can see your glory. Lord, I would pray for, for valleys to be filled in, for mountains to be flattened, for debris to be removed so that all people can see your glory. Lord, we know that this will be the case, for it was spoken by you long ago. It's come to fulfillment in Christ and will come to ultimate fulfillment when he comes again. Amen.